be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie. Yeah, we're gonna be a movie starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. Hey, a movie. We can watch it all develop starring everybody and me. We'll take the world. Set it on its ear. Come on, join in. We're going to start right here. And we are going to start right here. Hello and welcome to Triple Feature, a Rattlegen Broadcasting Network premiere podcast. I'm your host, the man, the reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And for those of you who live in the U.S. and pay attention to such things, today was the Super Bowl. Yay! Yay! Hey, and here to help celebrate all things football is Jason Teasley, the protocol son. How do you do, Jason? I'm doing good, doing good. I watched the Super Bowl. It didn't turn out as I hoped, but eh, those things happen. So I can't so complain. Are you a Bengals fan? And for those of you listening to this in the future, <laughs> this is 2022. It was the Rams versus the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know that you're in the uh, like the Ohio, West Virginia area. Uh, so were you just rooting for Cincinnati based on proxi- relative proximity, or are you an actual fan? Uh, a lot of the friends I have growing up are Bengals fans. Mm-hmm. I'm a New York Giants fan, but a lot okay. of friends I grew up with, and a lot of friends I associate with, and have like you know close ties to through my childhood are, are huge Bengals fans. So I was mm-hmm. rooting for the Bengals for them, uh, so they can get a championship it didn't work out that way so but they got a bright future and i don't think it's going to be the last time we see the Bengals in the super bowl like haven't the Bengals not been anywhere close to super bowl in like a hundred years 33 years that's that's a long time that's yep. that's old enough to be an adult um yep. <laughs> so real quick what did you think of the super bowl tonight how did you how did you enjoy it uh what, what was the game like for you uh i enjoyed it up till the last two minutes and then uh, the refs kind of took the fun out of the game, I guess you could say. Some questionable calls that led to the Rams' victory, the go-ahead mm-hmm. touchdown by the Rams. Uh, but, I mean, it was an enjoyable game. I mean, it was close. Seen a lot of pageantry. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. getting hurt was kind of a down point of it. But, you know, I'm happy that Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald all won their championship. Okay. Well, we had planned to do this mostly because uh, we both wanted to see national champions and talk about it. I think you more or less wanted to see American Underdog. I really didn't have any interest in it, but I wasn't unwilling to watch it. And then you beat me up with a sock and a, with a soap and a sock until I agreed to do We Are Marshall because I wanted to do draft day. But whatever. You're, you, you local Ohio, West Virginia people made me watch We Are Marshall again. So here we are. We had it. We have ourselves a football triple feature to celebrate the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, uh, I I seen the trailer for uh, National Champions um, over the summer. Uh, as soon as I seen it, I messaged you and wanted to cover it in some form or fashion. Um, American Underdog. Uh, is a great story, Kurt Warner story. Uh, we're going to go into that. And, of course, you know, the reason why I pitched We Are Marshall because I live in Huntington, West Virginia. Um, the plane crash site is about five miles from my house. I can, 
hop in my Jeep and be there in like five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually have been there. It's not, and you know, just because of the proximity and the meaning. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I thought that that would fit in with more of the, the realistic tone that we was going for on these, on this triple feature because tra- draft day is very unrealistic. Um, okay. And, but you know, we have two, we have two basically basic um, real life events. Mm-hmm. And then uh, national champions is a real life discussion that <laughs> is going on that. It's, it's an has, editorial. It's an editorial masquerading as a movie. Yeah. That it just um, had some um, resolution this year in college football. Okay, so let's get into it. <clears throat> so National Champions came out December 10th, came out the same weekend as West Side Story. And I think you and I briefly talked about the possibility of, of seeing it. And it was like, there's no way I can get you West Side Story and National Champions in the same week. So around that time, uh, it being the, the middle of December. So we we're like, all right, let's push this off. And then we decided to do it tonight. At a budget of eight million, it didn't make anywhere even close to that. It, its box office did four hundred and seventy-five thousand. So this was a certified bomb. Um, it's uh, it start. It was directed by Rick Roman Waugh. It's based on the play of the same name by Adam Mervis and stars Stephen James, J.K. Simmons, who everyone knows and loves, Alexander Ludwig, Lil Rel Howery. Tim Blake Nelson, Andrew Batchelor, Jeffrey Donovan, David Kochner, Kristen Chenoweth, uh, Timothy Oliphant, who I almost didn't recognize. I was like, why do I know yeah. that face? I'm like, oh my God, that's Justified Guy. I was yeah. Justified. And then Uzo Aduba, who I loved from um, Orange is the New Black. And the plot centers around a college star quarterback who begins a player strike hours before the national championship game. Um, so... There's no plot to this. Basically, it is a very talky movie. Um, yeah. it, you know, I don't know if you saw it yet. If you haven't, you should. It reminded me a lot of One Night in Miami, which is basically like the same kind of setup, just a different theme and obviously different real life people. It's like Muhammad Ali, and um, on the night I think he wins was the it title. Malcolm, was it Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, and <laughs> yeah, um, somebody like, else? Yeah, and a couple two other famous black people and basically they're like in this hotel like discussing race in america um and the plot is driven by the discussions that they're having but there really isn't necessarily a plot as such they just kind of talk until the movie's over um national champions is kind of the same thing we have this uh player we have this character stephen james who plays lamarcus james and he is joined by alexander ludwig who plays emmett sunday and they together have decided that they're not going to play in the national championship game um, because they want college athletes to be paid as professionals, to be paid as employer employees, rather. They want health care. They want basically to be taken care of for the bodily sacrifice that they make playing collegiate sports. And what unfolds over the course of the movie is that the NCAA and the college that this kid plays for are trying everything in their power to coerce and blackmail him to play. And he strikes back in his own way. And there's a lot of manipulation of social media. And ultimately, he does not play. Um, I forget how the rest of it ends. Um, you can kind of fill in the blanks for me. But he basically doesn't play. And 
I think they come just shy of ruining his life because if they if if they go ahead and ruin his life by releasing information about an aggravated assault that he got away with, it'll implicate the coach in a cover up as well, and basically everyone's lives get ruined. So that's about where the story ends. You want to? Is there any other gaps you want to fill in, or you want to just kind of jump in with the discussion? Well, I mean, uh, first and foremost, this movie was not a wide release. That I think that helped hurt its box office. This movie, mm-hmm. I had to watch uh, video on demand because it wasn't playing within a hundred miles of, of me mm-hmm. anywhere. Um, so I, I think that it had a very limited release. I mean, we could t- check box office mojo uh, to confirm that, but I think that's where it suffered a lot. Also, this- yeah, I, got, I got numbers for you. It was released theatrically in 1,197 theaters by STX entertainment. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know how, I mean, by comparison, most movies play in three to 4,000 theaters. Right, so you're 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 very uh, got a very limited scope, yep. but this movie touches on the the adage of college football is a billion a multi billion dollar um, conglomerate for university. This is basically what runs uh, university and a lot of other uh, athletic programs is college football because it's such a high revenue, um, and schools seen that when the pandemic happened when mm-hmm. you didn't have the fans and everything college football um so uh, you know college football games suffered and a lot of schools suffered hey real uh, quick it was considered a wide release just fyi uh, just wow. not as wide as say west side story <laughs> all right yeah please continue so so yeah so and they they take a stand he's the number one quarterback uh projected to go number one overall and he is, I guess, mindful of what's going on around him uh, because Sunday, his best friend and roommate, is just a farm boy from middle America that's going to go back to life on you know, a farm once his college career is over. And he suffers all these injuries. He's got like you know damage and stuff. And he they take the stance as, you know, we put our bodies on the line for schools to have all this revenue and we're not benefiting. We are sacrificing our well-being and our livelihood and our potential livelihood for peanuts, basically. And being a former college athlete myself, I seen this firsthand. I was uh, NAIA athlete, but still... Uh, I wasn't on scholarship or anything. I paid up my own way. Can but you, the athletes that were you, on scholarship. Can you go back a second to say what, what that is again? Because I I'm, <clears throat> I didn't catch what that was, and I'm not sure if our audience knew what you were talking about. What, NAIA? Yeah. NAI is um, the level below Division Three. Oh, okay. Uh, it, yeah, it's 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 low, low <laughs> college. It's pretty what much. You, what did you play? I uh, played basketball. Okay. Uh, for Glenville State, <laughs> the Glenville State Pioneers, okay. um, in Northern West Virginia, um, but yeah, it, I, I seen that firsthand. I seen uh, a lot of people that I was on the team with and friends with were on scholarships, and their stipends were minuscule. Mm-hmm. Um, as well, you can't hold a job as a college athlete, so because it goes against NCAA. Um, 
violation their guidelines and everything so you know having a little bit of firsthand knowledge and of course this has been as 22 years ago uh and now what it is now i seen i, I can i can understand where where the premise of this story comes from because mm-hmm. in my opinion college athletes do need to be paid uh because they generate so much money okay and can a i lot be- of Hang on, can I just speak up for the other side of the argument? I don't have a dog in this hunt. I don't want people to take me take advantage of. You know, that's about where I stand. But just for the sake of argument, I'm going to take the opposing viewpoint. Like this is an on trial. The opposing viewpoint says very clearly <clears throat> two things. One, <clears throat> you are you are being paid. You're being paid with a free education, an education that costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, an education that in this environment. With the with the with the cost as it is right now, puts people into massive amounts of debt when they are just entering the workforce. These athletes get it for free, um, as a, as opposed to other college students. They're also they, as small as it might be, they are in fact getting a stipend. So, in lieu of a salary, they're getting a hundreds of thousands of dollar education on top of extra money. Number one, number two. Um, I can't remember what the other argument they say in the, uh, oh, sorry, Uza Aduba brings this up so we can kind of relate it back directly to the movie. There is a scene where Uza Aduba, who plays a retained attorney for, I believe it's the NCAA, um, she is charged with bringing this quarterback kid down um, because they don't want him to be successful here. And one of the things she says is, yes, men's football and men's basketball generate billions of dollars collectively across the american collegiate system but those billions of dollars yes some of it is spent on large salaries maybe excessive salaries but a lot of it is also spent on keeping every other sports program at every other university afloat so women's volleyball is is one that she cites women's volleyball track uh women's basketball does not generate nearly as much or any income and the money generated by football and basketball are what's keeping them afloat so her point is and the movie's point is the sort of the the opposite side of the argument is while we understand that and i thought this statistic was actually interesting i don't remember what the exact numbers were but um one of the things that lamarcus says in the movie is there are x amount of available positions every draft there are three yeah there's three three hundred i think it's three hundred and two players um drafted right out of like over a thousand eligible draft eligible players yeah twelve thousand eligible players throughout the uh ncaa collegiate system um which means that a large number of guys are going to spend their college years getting battered for no money and no health insurance, not get into the NFL, not make millions and millions of dollars and go home broke and unable to, you know, possibly, you know, and possibly uh, so damaged and disabled that they cannot work uh, in some cases. And I think that's the point that the Ludwig Alexander character is supposed to represent is that he's one of these guys who, when he goes home, he'll go home to nothing. What was this all for? And that is LaMarcus's point. So, I'm going to kick it back to you, but that is essentially the central debate of this movie. On the one hand, this system uh, gets by on the backs of free labor. 
On the other hand, this system supports millions and millions of dollars worth of uh, sports that don't generate any income. And that's the, and it's not a great, it's kind of like capitalism. It's not the best system, but it's the one that works the best. So go ahead. Yeah. uh, And like I said, I mean, I'm all for, you know, but he was, he was speaking across all sports, Mm -hmm. not just football players being paid. It was all sports. Uh, And that, and that was his argument. He said every, because injuries happen, can happen in any sport. And, you know, the lawyer actually played, says she played lacrosse at Duke. Um, I think it was lacrosse. Um, and, and that's why she was relating. And she had a great mm-hmm. speech that you actually told me to, that that was in the movie uh, about the Heartless. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a great speech. Um, yeah. And it kind of, because she's not a very likable character up to that point. And then she's, you see. She's doing a shitty job, but she's doing it yeah. well. And, she yeah. was like, and can we just, just so everyone's understanding of us. Uza Aduba is a phenomenal actress, and she plays that part extremely well. Yeah, well, I mean, you kind of get the you kind of get the idea from the opening, the opening scene when she's kind of sitting back. She's not; she doesn't even quote unquote have a seat at the table, mm-hmm. uh, and she's just back there taking notes yep. and looking at, and, and you know, you see that she's conflicted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know she's not really likable. But when you get up to that point where she where she gets them in the room and she starts explaining everything, you kind of see where she's coming from. She yeah. she doesn't. It's not personal. It's a job. Yep. And she understands where they're coming from, but they got to understand where that she fought and you know fought for her way to get in the position she's in. And that's what she's trying to get across because. You know, she didn't. She didn't have the opportunity to go pro. She didn't have that opportunity. Excuse me, uh, to come out of college and make millions of dollars playing the sport that she went to college for. Uh, just, just to drop some knowledge on you, uh, the average out-of-state tuition for the University of Alabama is around one hundred and thirty thousand dollars mm-hmm. for four years. One hundred and thirty. That's everything. That includes everything. So, so you think? Um, you know, everybody says, well, they're getting this education. They're getting this education. If you go out and you play a sport, say you play football, you get paralyzed while playing because this has happened. Um, there's a college basketball player named Hank Gathers that actually died in the middle of a basketball game. What what compensation is there? Um, so he, you get pushed so hard physically that you you could potentially lose your life um and i I think that's where where it goes from because some of these college some of these college regiments are insane it's Mm -hmm. not as bad as it used to be granted not as bad as it used to be um things have mellowed out now but back in you know back when i was in college sports and you know what i know of college sports some of these like practices and scrimmage and stuff got brutal i mean you you seen a lot of uh, CTE mm-hmm. um, that went undiagnosed and ignored um, a lot, and that has its uh, impacts. So I see both sides, but I, I'm a proponent. I think college athletes should get paid, and this just uh, there was an agreement that just came out this year, this past year, is 
uh, college athletes in like promotional material, video games and stuff, they can receive payment for their likeness. Which, I think that's fair. Which I think is really good because with that, the greatest college football game of all time on any gaming platform, if anybody has issues, please at me. I will fight you over this. Is NCAA football by EA Sports. Mm. Um, it went away because the NCAA wasn't getting any benefits from it. What was getting, well, they was getting very little um, licensing, licensing benefits. And this game was extremely amazing. I mean, it was the best college, fo- best football uh, game on any platform. <clears throat> and it went away because they couldn't come to an agreement on the licensing. The NCAA wanted a bigger piece. Um, and uh, EA wanted to try to get the athletes for trade uh, some kind of payment, some kind of stipend for their likeness and the NCAA shut it down. So they didn't meet an agreement. Just this past year, they came to the agreement. College athletes can't get paid for their likeness, uh, like kind of do autograph signings, but it's got limitations from what I understand. So so we are moving in, in the right direction, I feel. So um, just to keep a little bit closer to the craft discussion of this movie, J.K. Simmons plays the coach. He plays LaMarcus James's coach. And and what here's the thing about him and Uzo Aduba and LaMarcus Jackson. Nobody in this movie is 100% bad or 100% good. There's a lot of shades of gray here, which I really, really like. I National Champions, I feel like, has a point of view. It, it definitely favors LaMarcus over the NCAA, but I think it does do a good job of presenting both sides fairly especially because they gave a lot of the NCAA's argument to Uzo Aduba and then to J.K. Simmons, who I want to talk about. So J.K. Simmons, as I said, plays the coach, and he has a really great speech. This movie is just, like, chock full of great speeches. But he has a great speech, and I wanted to get your take on this. Um, he talks about, and not, not to get too personal, but he, 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 has a com- he has a speech that he gives to the entire football players about midway through the movie, and it's a, a summation of... You work your whole life to get to where you are, to where you have any kind of success, and all of the things that give your life meaning fall through your hands. Marriages break up, your body breaks down and doesn't work the way it's supposed to without crutches and medications and whatnot. Um, you, uh, you, you lose face with your family. All you have, and he uses a very specific word here, all you have left is glory. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he starts in, and he, well, he recognizes LaMarcus Jackson has, I got his name right, LaMarcus Jackson, James, Jesus, LaMarcus yeah. James's um, point is that, you know, is valid. Like, he recognizes that James has a point. He's trying to get him and the entire team to understand that beyond being paid, beyond being taken care of for your injuries and whatnot, there, there is that intangible thing that makes life worth living, and he calls it glory. And he says, go out there and fight for your glory, because life doesn't give you many opportunities to do that very thing. I mean, you and me, we're ham and eggers here. We're, you know, we're Johnny Lunchpails. We go out, we work a job, we take care of our families, we come home. Um, there are a few times in your life that you can truly fight for something that you can hold on to for the rest of your life, that intangible thing. And that's what he's saying. He's like, there's time aplenty to argue the nuances of how 
college athletes should be uh, taken care of. But now is not that time. Now is the time to fight for glory because when it's over, you're not probably going to get another chance at this. And then he just walks off. Um, I, I was thinking about, I don't know if you watched Midnight Mass, but I compared it to the the priest's speech in, about, in the second, to, second or third to last episode where he's talking about a holy war and then just sort of walks off. <laughs> you know, I talked about this on the review, as a matter of fact. He's just like, oh, he just feels fed up with everything and he gives his war speech and then he just walks off, you know, stage right. Very J.K. Simmons, very similar. He just kind of gets up there. He talks about life's not fair, fight for your glory, and then walks away. And everyone's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, I think J.K. Simmons is one of the best actors of our generation right now. I everything he's in is phenomenal, even if the thing he's in isn't good, he's fantastic. Uh, what did you think of him, that speech, what he represents in the movie? I think he played the role really well. Um, and uh, just inside joke here, uh, I really wanted when she said that he took a uh, Lamarcus account, a life insurance policy. I was really hoping it was farmers, uh, <laughs> the farmers logo that she threw down. If that would have been that, I would, I would love it. But yeah, I mean, JK Simmons is phenomenal in Mm -hmm. actor um he he chews scenery well mm -hmm. and he commands a presence when he's on screen yeah um and i think that this role is and they try to give it the 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 whole wife story um i honestly didn't pay that close attention to it yeah it was a it, it was it was basically a means to an end that for them to get the phone yeah um and, and that was it uh it, it carried no no other other relevance throughout this yeah but, honestly you could have cut Kristen chenoweth and timothy oliphant out of the movie and i honestly wouldn't have missed them right uh yeah i mean you you could have got it for you could have got the phone from the one of the assistant coaches and got to the same the same uh conclusion mm -hmm. but yeah i mean i i really like this i think some of the um i think everybody done a really good job acting wise i mean dialogue was clunky in points but you know, just the portrayal mm -hmm. was really good. I, I, I have nothing. I really like this movie. Um, the in, ending was kind of one of those um, cliffhangers because you just yeah. see him, you I just see him I, in the room. I thought I missed it, and then I went to go read the plot synopsis. And let me re, let me let me tell you what the plot synopsis of this movie is. Are you ready? Sit yeah. down because it's going to be a long one. A star collegiate quarterback ignites a player strike hours before the biggest game of the year in order to fight for fair compensation, equality, and respect for athletes who put their bodies and health on the line for their schools. That's not a plot synopsis. <laughs> whoever that's a tagline. Yeah, whoever wrote the Wikipedia page, that's that's not it, man. That's the that that's what you put in the TV guide. Right. You can remember what that is. Um, so I, I I kind of drifted out towards the end, and it, and it like he doesn't play, and they don't try to put him in prison for aggravated assault and that's about well, it wasn't that it wasn't him that had the assault it was sunday sunday's the one that mm -hmm. that damaged the guy but they they pinpointed uh um, all anyone in the crowd recognized was lamar right, right because when they open up when they're talking about the file they said the big white guy right uh went in and and he says it was self-defense they's like well you know, it's not going to be you that's going to be impacted. It's going to be him that's on trial. Right. And the sharks are going to come after him 
not you. You'll be safe, but it's your best friend that you're throwing to the sharks. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you, it creates that moral dilemma there of, you know, what does he do? And then it pans. They're not playing in the game, and it just ends. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, there's no resolution of what happened to either one of them. Okay, so I didn't miss anything. It just ended in that conference room, and and you don't know if he plays or not. No, no, it goes. It, it, it you hear the you hear the game on, mm-hmm. and then it pans that he's sitting in the ho- him and Sunday sitting in the hotel room, and Sunday turns the TV on, and it's the national championship game, and he goes, "Oh my bad." He's like, "No, keep it on," and they just ha- they're just talking, and then it just ends. It's like <laughs> nothing happens. I think as a again as an editorial national champions didn't want to commit to too much of a hard ending because it wants you to ruminate on the debate and think yeah. and decide for yourself who's in the who's more in the right because there are valid points on both sides i mean look not not to be that guy but i would love to sit down with the with the ncaa books and see what happens if you pay the athletes a living wage to play what happens if you pay all the all the athletes a living wage to, to play all the sports and then what do your balance sheets look like and how how much red ink is is there really how much are these sports generating uh by themselves without the help of football and how and how much can football if you're paying everybody how much you know fo- can f- football keep in basketball keep things afloat what has to change in order to have a balance to have balanced books um never mind like the excessive salaries and all that let's let's put let's in this pollyanna world that i've just created let's assume everyone gets paid a fair wage from the executives to the to the officials to the, the athletes i would love to know what that looks like um I, and i don't i i can't speak intelligently enough about it um because i don't know if anyone's really look i don't know the the ncaa's argument is your pollyanna that i just described is impossible the 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 whole ncaa system would go broke you know almost instantaneously if you tried this i don't know if that's true certainly the other side seemed to think otherwise but i would love to know what the i would love to know what the math looks like is all i'm gonna say i think it's a movie and the, the point that i bring all that up is i think the movie wants you to sit and think about it um i don't i i think it i think the the people, you know, the director, the writers, and what you know, the people who wrote the play certainly have their thoughts on it. But the nice thing about this movie is that it sort of leaves it in your lap for you to make a final decision. Um, any other thoughts about national champions before we move on? Nah, we've covered just about everything there there is to cover. Okay. Um, go watch One Night in Miami, by the way. It's like football, but racism. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, <laughs> speaking of football and racism, Grammarly, for you <laughs> listeners of uh, Triple Feature, Grammarly is offering a free download of our Grammarly software. Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products com- help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. So download Grammarly today. Go to getgrammarly.com uh, slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W2M network to download Grammarly for free. All right. So this next one, uh, Jason was really interested in. Uh, I don't know who the guy is. I didn't know this story, so I didn't really care about this. Um, I just know the actor was Shazam. 
So yeah. this is American Underdog, a 2021 biographical sports film about National Football League quarterback Kurt Warner. It was directed by Andrew and John Irwin, and it follows Warner's journey as an undrafted player who ascended to winning a Super Bowl. It stars Zachary Levi as Warner alongside Anna Paquin as his wife Brenda and Dennis Quaid as St. Louis Rams head coach Dick Vermeil. Uh, it was released in the United States on Christmas Day by Lionsgate and received mostly positive reviews from critics and it grossed $26 million on an unlisted budget, which means it probably did not make any money. Um, all right, so the just real quick, Jason, how familiar are you with this story? Um, I know this was one that was that, that, that you really pushed to review. So just give me a couple of words on all of that. Yeah, I'm I'm a big Kurt Warner fan. I think he's an amazing individual. His story was phenomenal. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about it to see where he went uh, from college to not being drafted to, you know, working a regular nine to five job to going to a nothing league that you've seen on ESPN at two o'clock in the morning to being um signed by the rams and going on to win a super bowl and a league mvp mm -hmm. um all right so it starts out with young kurt warner who watches the super bowl and he makes a lifelong commitment to be coming super bowl and mvp mvp quarterback several years later kurt is playing in the fifth year at the university of northern iowa with coach terry allen he threatens to bench him after not following team rules which would effectively end his nfl dream after a brutal practice, Kurt continues to be the starter, and his numbers climb to a point where he has a chance at the draft. Meanwhile, Kurt becomes attracted to a calendar model. He decides to learn how to dance to impress her. He finds out her name is Brenda, and she is a single mom with two kids who is a nursing student on food stamps. Even though she doesn't think it will work out, Kurt becomes persistent and walks three miles to her house to get her number and finds out that she was a Marine corporal and her oldest son is disabled. He instantly bonds with the children, and they decide to give it a try. With his last season over, Kurt anxiously awaits the draft. He doesn't get picked and wonders why God gave him a dream that he would never obtain. He finds out that the Green Bay that Green Bay gave him the chance to try out. The tryout goes badly, and Kurt goes home empty-handed, becoming homeless. He moves in with Brenda and lives in the basement. He takes a job at Hy-Vee Grocery Store, working nights, stocking shelves. He finds out that success is not found on the football field, but how one acts when confronted with disappointments. God, ain't that the truth? Brenda's, yeah. <laughs> Brenda's parents move out, putting them in a tough situation, and the couple continue to struggle. At one point, their car runs out of gas, and Kurt walks two miles into a blizzard to get to the nearest gas station. Kurt gets approached by Jim Foster, who offers to be, who offers him the quarterback position for the Iowa Barnstormers in Arena Football. Kurt agrees after he finds that no one in the NFL is interested in him. Arena Football is different as it is smaller, much more fast-paced. He loses his first game but wins the next game. Kurt and Brenda's relationship is strained from the long commute, and they momentarily break up. Brenda's parents are killed in a tornado, and they decide to get back together. They get married, and Kurt finishes the season with a heartbreaking loss when he finishes the season one yard short of the end zone. Kurt is given another chance when he gets invited to try out for the St. Louis Rams. He doesn't think he will make it as he is trying as he's having to readjust to normal football, and the offensive coordinator, Mike Martz, berates him relentlessly for every mistake. The head coach, Dick Vermeil, Believes in him, and he is given a permanent position. When starting quarterback Trent Green goes down with an injury, Kurt becomes a starting quarterback. In his first game, Kurt and the Rams face a strong Baltimore Ravens defense uh, led by linebacker Ray Lewis. After a turnover in his first drive, Kurt picks the Ravens' defense apart. 
With a 27 to 10 lead, the Rams go into victory formation and Warner takes a knee to end the game. He immediately gives thanks to God for the opportunity and kisses Brendan in the stands. The Rams would post a 13-3 record that season and become known as the greatest show on turf because of the high-powered offense led by Warner. The Rams would go on to defeat the Tennessee Titans in the Super Bowl. During the game, Kurt would throw the most passing yards in the Super Bowl, breaking Joe Montana's record. Doing so helped him win Super Bowl MVP and crowned the league MVP, making him the first undrafted player to be named either of those in NFL history. The credits show that he would play in two other Super Bowls, become enshrined in the pro- Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2017, and he and Brenda continue to live happily mar- uh, married, happily married with seven kids. Real quick, I just want to read this part. The film depicts Kurt Warner's NF- first NFL playing time as being in the Rams in the 1999 season opener against the Ravens. In reality, he played in the Rams' Week 17 game of their 1998 season against the 49ers. He only completed four of his 11 attempts for 39 yards. Warner had actually been on the team longer than Trent Green, who was signed. February 15th, 1999, while Warner had signed with the Rams during the 98 offseason, it was allocated to the NFL Europe, which is not mentioned in the film at all. The film film also admits that Warner played for the Iowa Barnstormers for three seasons. All right, Jason, hit it. What would you think of this movie? I love this movie. Um, And because Kurt Warner has such such a motivational story as well, Mm -hmm. Um, because, yeah, he was was somebody that was getting attention in college. and he was looking to be drafted. He he got signed uh, to the Packers and fizzled out in two days <laughs> uh, simply because he questioned himself. And, you know, they had a Hall of Fame quarterback there at the time as well. So that kind of put a little bit of extra pressure on him. Um, it, it's just a, uh, a story of perseverance and faith. Um, it's very faith-based if you once you look at it. Um you know, short haircuts and all. Um, <laughs> but it it's one of those stories that is very inspirational, motivational, because they face so much adversity through life. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only him, but them as a couple. Um, and they just persevered. Uh, they did what they had to do to get by. And just the payoff was phenomenal. And I'm not going to lie. I, I, I'll i be man enough to admit. I, I teared up about three times. Um, because, one, um, I relate to a lot to this movie. Uh, you know, me and my wife, we've had struggles through our life. But somehow we always figure it out. And we always come out. Now, I'm not an NFL quarterback, of course. But, you know, um, from when we met... Uh, where we are in my life, our lives now has drastically changed. We've faced trials and tribulation, but we always had each other um, and persevered through it, figured it out. And somehow we always came out the other side better and uh, wiser, I guess you could say. Um, but the, the loss of the parents hit me kind of hard because it was she had nobody to turn to and she she turned to him, especially after the fight, because she breaks up with him because he he doesn't have time for her and she doesn't understand like the lifestyle of the football. And you know, you're being pulled in different directions. And arena football was vastly different. You got paid he got paid a hundred dollars for every touchdown he threw. Um, and he was saving all that money to give to her to make ends meet. Uh, and he was he was living on 
bare minimum. He was basically sending all the money to her to give to her when he had the opportunity. And it, it shows him as a strong-willed individual. And I, I don't know. He goes to a place. He's stocking shelves at a grocery store five years before he's in the NFL. Um, that That's insane. I mean, you don't hear of that. You don't hear of those uh, underdog stories such as that. Uh, he's the greatest, basically, in sports. In any sports, he's the greatest underdog to ever be uh, mentioned as in a professional aspect. So statistically, if I don't know if you know this or not, how many guys end up coming into the NFL outside of the draft? I think it's less than it's less than five percent. Okay, so it does happen, but it's it's a rare occurrence. Yeah, I mean you get people sign do but do they have impact? They get signed to like practice squads, they get signed to you know, mm-hmm. and, and relegated to death charts. Practice so they're, they're signing to the NFL, but then they're really signing into the NFL, right? They're they're, okay. they're signing to a, signing on a team, and they're signing to be a contributor. Yeah, um, I like you know just reading the what really happened stuff. Like you know, I and I think Dwayne Johnson talked about this. Like like you sign up for the or uh, NFL, but then they ship you to NFL Europe or something, uh, yeah. stuff like that. Um, and that's the other thing, and it kind of actually goes back to like national champions. Like, so you don't get into the NFL, then what do you do? Yeah, there's arena football out there. There's the Canadian Football League. There's the World League. Uh, for a brief, wonderful, glorious moment in time, there was the XFL. Um, so there is options, but none pay as well as the NFL. Certainly, yeah. none have the prestige of the NFL proper. Um, as for what I thought of the movie, I mean, Zachary Levi has a uh great charisma and charm about him i mean you know despite the terrible haircut they gave poor anna paquin um yeah they had cute chemistry together i believe they were a couple but i i don't i didn't connect with the story quite the way you did um i was interested you know i i was not bored by this movie at all but um i didn't know anything about him so you know, I whatever happened in the movie, like I said, I it was one of those where I, I couldn't quite in the film couldn't quite push me to grasp, really get my head wrapped around the dramatic tension of this guy might not make it to the NFL. Mm-hmm. And so when he does, oh, what a joyous occasion. It was like, I okay, I'm sure eventually he'll get there. And so you're just on the journey with him. And he's a and he's a charismatic and a, you know and a good enough dude, somebody that I want to I room I'm rooting for and I want him to make it. Um, and and that's the other thing. There was a couple of times in the movie where things bad things are happening to him, and I don't and I never had that feeling of like, oh, how unfair! He's so good. Like when he's trying out for Green Bay, and the coach specifically says, "Get in there," and he's like, "But I don't know the plays." And the coach cuts him the, the, in the next scene. I'm like, rooting for the coach there. I'm like, yeah, good. Like, don't, yeah. you know, that's like, that's like showing up to your Broadway rehearsal and not knowing your lines. Like, you know, at some point you have to be a professional and take things seriously and, and really push yourself. And I, as the the movie, the whole point of that scene is that he wasn't, he didn't seem like emotionally, he might have had all the talent in the world. He might have all the physical prowess, but he clearly wasn't mentally ready for it. Um, so, I mean, I like that scene and everything, but it, it was one of those where like, eh. 
I don't sure. I'm not sure how I feel about this character. And then the rest, and then you know, and then that scene later on where Anna Paquin's like not wanting to stay with him because he, you know, because he's busy trying to, you know, kill himself to uh, to, to take care of his family, and she's like, it's, and she's like, yeah, what have you done for me lately? And like this poor guy, you know. So that those aren't necessarily deficits of the film. Like I don't think they, I don't, I don't think they bring the film down in any way. Uh, I, th- I kind of think you need them. But it did make it did make me at times, like I said, not totally feel sympathetic towards either one of those two characters. Um, we watched Marry Me last night. Ronnie and I are going to talk about it tomorrow. And Marry Me was, it, it, while it lacks in dramatic tension, it makes up for it in characters behaving like normal human beings. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I looked at my wife when it was over, and it was like it was nice not to watch. It was nice to watch a movie where characters don't act like assholes. And, you know, we have the scene with him in Green Bay, and that was an asshole maneuver. And then Anna Paquin has an asshole moment. And I'm like, mm, I, I, you know, sure, it lends itself to to good dramatic tension, but I don't always love it. So anyway, um, as far as far as American Underdog goes, I don't have a whole lot else to say about it. Uh, it's an interesting story. Um, as far as like an underdog story, uh, you know, an old it's always fun to see an older guy, a guy, you know, maybe just out of his prime fight back and, you know, and then go all the way to the championship and win. Boy, is that the, that's, that's Rocky. That's the American dream. Right. Mm. So, I mean, that was fun, but I, I didn't connect as much as you did with the story. I'll give you the last word. Yeah. Um, Anna Paquin's haircut made her look like she was 20 years older than what she actually is in the movie. I sent this um, to you in the chat. Anna Paquin has a very interesting and unique look, which was not accentuated at all with that haircut. No, no, it was not. Uh, yeah, because when when you first see her, you think that she's like maybe one of the the older barmaids, um, <laughs> not somebody that's you know uh, four years out of military, like 22, yeah. 20, 22, 23. Um, and you're like, hmm, yeah, she looks like a she looks like a soccer mom. Um, but I like this, like I said, I mean, it's, I'm I'm a big sports movie fan anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, so I like this. I appreciate, you know, you watching it for me and throwing me a bone on, on this, on these movies. Um, because like I said, I, uh, you know, the resident, uh, football guy here on, on the network, I kind of enjoy these movies. And like I said, it's, I think he had, he played. Kurt Warner really good. I think he had a lot of mannerisms and the look down and the basically the personality of Kurt Warner because Kurt Warner is one of the guys like if you met him, you'd probably he, he's everything that I've you read about him, he's one of the nicest guys to ever meet. Let me ask you a question. There's a part when he's playing in the in college that they talk about um, where he won't stay in the pocket. And yeah. you know, the coach is like, I don't care how well you scramble, which is which was a weird thing because I would think that if you're a good scrambler and you can make up yards and everything, and this is maybe my like lack of knowledge of football, like why you would force a guy who's fast and fleet of foot to stay in the pocket and get killed by linemen. Uh, because at that time the mm-hmm. game had hadn't evolved to where you have a scramble. Hang on, I know why I'm sore about this. They did this crap. To what's his nuts from from the University of Florida that everyone hates, um, Tebow. Yeah, where Tebow in the one game that I saw him in, 
was running all over the damn field and, and was able to make up yards because, you know, he couldn't hit a receiver or whatever the reasons were. And then he gets to the NFL and nobody likes it. And it's like, why? Why does this matter? Okay, now go. Yeah, I mean, the, the game hadn't evolved to a scrambling quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of teams wanted their quarterbacks to stay in the pocket and, you know, win. And that that's what their playbooks um, were built around. Mm-hmm. Uh, is having a, a solid arm not be staying in the pocket, making the accurate pass, rather than playing what you see in, uh, a lot in the NFL now is um, backyard football, where quarterback scrambles, gets out, gets out of the pocket, receivers pretty much run all over the field, and you try to hit uh, a open receiver, most no- notably like Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes is really known for it. Mm-hmm. Um, Kyler Murray as well. So you see the the when he was coming in and he was in college and stuff, the game had it. He was ahead of of what was going on, what you see in the NFL now. See, I so, wish the film had talked about that. Yeah, so, so when he was in college, it was more of a pocket presence. Mm-hmm. Than a scrambling that you see sure. in the updated. Well, I can hardly see NFL. why you'd want your quarterback to sit still while he gets killed by four by four fat guys. Yeah. <laughs> well, they they. they Sorry, I know. I know that. I I know. I sound like an idiot to you. This is like yeah. football, whatever. But I just think about it from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's like I said, you got to look. You you got to look at the through the lens of the time frame rather than the 2022 lens okay all right fair enough um anything else about american underdog nah we've covered just about everything i want to say on it okay well jason when you are when you are playing sports when you were out there playing basketball yeah when you were a what was it you know uh farm league uh <laughs> farm league division wow. five um <laughs> basketball player at the you know the university of hoop you do uh yeah. and you and you were out there doing your layups and whatnot what kind of music were you guys listening to um we, we just had a variety i mean we a lot of uh a lot of guns and roses oh, yeah. uh a lot of a lot of icp oh um, yeah were you going in to the, gun? In, in the um in the hills of northern west virginia in the mountains uh yeah there was i icp was really big on campus for some reason <laughs> we don't we we still have not figured that out did um, you guys chase each other around the basketball court spraying each other with fago no no we, we <laughs> didn't do that um but yeah like a lot of a lot of the football players listen to icp for and we we that's when we learned that cte was a real thing <laughs> um because you had to be brain dead to listen to half that stuff they listen to not saying all icp is bad but well some, some gone, of the albums they listen have you to. ever gone back and listened to the riddle box or any of these fine insane clown posse albums and if you could for free would you yeah i think the only one i ever listened to was like the great malenko mm-hmm. yeah that that comes after the riddle box um well jason i have a deal for you we happen to be giving away a free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. And do you know that you can listen to the entire Insane Clown Posse catalog on Amazon Music Unlimited? You can stream all their albums for free. 
Oh, great. That's <laughs> something I did not know, Mark. Thank yeah, you for the knowledge. I, well, I'm here to help you. Go chicken hunting. Um, who's going chicken hunting? We's going chicken hunting. Um, so click the link in our... I still love that song. Have you ever heard the rem- the uh, the mashup of Chicken Hutton with uh, uh, that Dr. Dre song, um, uh, California Knows How to Put That One? No, I have not. I've never oh even heard God. Chicken Hutton. You've never heard Chicken Hutton? No. Oh, my God. I don't feel like doing this right this second, but I, I need to play both for you now. I'm going to send them to you at some point. Uh, okay. Anyway, um, well, you can hear, you can probably go and hear Chicken Hunting right now, and maybe you might be able to find that mashup on Amazon Music Unlimited. So click the link in this podcast description, getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. Again, let's getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network for your free 30-day trial of the Amazon Music Unlimited service. You can check it out for 30 days, stream all you want, over 70 million songs for you to enjoy. Uh, and then if you don't like it, you can get rid of it. No fuss, no muss, no contracts, no pains in the butt. Or you can keep it and pay the monthly fee. It is uh, just the same as Spotify and Apple Music, but the service is so much better than either one of those two. All right. So again, get amazonmusic.com slash W2M Network. And now we Yay. come to it. Our final... <laughs> Every time I have... I have I've talked about this. I've, I keep doing the we are Marshall. Yeah. Which cracks me up because you brought that up earlier with uh, JK Simmons. Yeah. So we are Marshall is a 2006 American biographical sports drama directed by McGee, who brought you the Charlie's Angels movies. It depicts the after. I think I'm right about that. At least one Charlie's Angels movie. Now I got to look. Uh, yeah, he's yeah. done more than that, is he? He did Charlie's Angels, Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle, Terminator Salvation, which sucked. Um, this means war, which I don't remember if I saw or not. Um, Three Days to Kill, The Babysitter, Rim of the World, and The Babysitter Killer Queen. So there you go. And then he's looks like he's directed some television hither and thither. So anyway, so that's McGee. Uh, fairly okay career there. Uh, it depicts the aftermath of the 1970 plane crash that killed 75 people, 37 players of the Marshall University Thundering Herd football team, five coaches, two athletic trainers, the athletic director, 25 boosters, and the airplane crew of five. It stars Matthew McConaughey as Jack Langle and Matthew Fox as William Red Dawson, uh, David Straight Aaron as University President Donald Dedman, Robert Patrick is the ill-fated Marshall head coach, Rick Tolley. Then governor of Georgia, Sonny Perdue, has a cameo role as the East Carolina University football coach. Um, all right. So here's – so real briefly, did you want to add anything to why we're talking about this tonight? Or, do you, you know, you covered it all when we opened up with some table setting. Yeah. yeah I mean, this is – it hits how close to home to me because I live in Huntington. Okay. Uh, the, the fountain ceremony is mm-hmm. – very 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 emotional mm-hmm. uh and it is very um I'm trying to think of the thing uh thing of the word it takes you it puts you in a complete mi- different mindset because when you see the families some of the families and some of the that you hear the stories of the players uh that don't get the the recognition in this movie is and the players that played on that inaugural team that came back, um, it's very, very um, humbling. I guess you could say is a good word for it. Mm-hmm. And just to see the impact it had 
on the town itself. And like I said, I, I live like five minutes from the crash site. How far um, away are you from the university? Um, six miles. Okay. So that so you really are like a college town. You live in a. I, I drive. Yeah, going to my in laws. I drive right through campus. I, I drive okay. right. I drive right across Fifth uh, Avenue and Third Avenue, which is both sides of campus. Okay. Um, going to my in laws. Uh, yeah. I mean, when before me and Amber moved, I lived four blocks from the football stadium, uh, and we, me and my father in law, would always walk to games and stuff. So in the time that you've been alive and been a part of this, does the town really shut down for football? Yes. Um, okay. It, it really does. Um, and I have I have some memories. Uh, one of Marshall's <laughs> national championship games, I was actually at, and I rushed the field. I was only like 13, 14 years old. Nice. Uh, and, you know, me and my cousin, me and my two cousins was at the game. We rushed the field after the national championship when they beat Youngstown State and we was with the, the mob of crowd carrying the goalpost down uh, 3rd Avenue. It, it was lovely. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's it's very it's very ingrained in the culture here in Huntington. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the, the, especially the turning off of the fountain mm-hmm. is, I mean, some of the speeches are are heart-wrenching um it's very very humbling very somber um i've only been able to attend one mm-hmm. uh and of course i watched the 50th anniversary one uh because they because of the pandemic and everything it kind of put a hiatus on you know actually being able to go attend in person mm-hmm. but uh you see memorials you see you know every when they turn the fountain off, like the entire campus shuts down mm-hmm. and like the entire town, like slows to a crawl for this, for this event. Mm-hmm. Cause that is, is actually an event. It's, it's part of Huntington lore and, you know, traditions of the turning on and off of the fountain. So funny. Um, you know, with like shows like Friday night lights and, some of the movies and other television shows that focus on like Texas football, you, you get this impression that like, Oh my God, football is life for the people who live in Texas. Like there is, there is nothing it else, is. but clearly that's not just Texas. There's a lot of spots around America where football is ingrained in the culture. It's, it's part of the life's blood of the, of the people that live there. Oh yeah. College football, college football is very ingrained in everything. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if you, if you ever want the the best interpretation of that, um, Texas high school football is a good example mm-hmm. that you see in like Friday Night Lights and um, Varsity Blues is a good example. Mm-hmm. They're they're fucking insane. Uh, but <laughs> college football, uh, the state of Alabama, mm. uh, is a is a great interpretation of this because you're either born an Alabama fan or you're born an Auburn fan and there have been family members disowned for being the opposite. Okay. Um, it, it is it is the craziest thing I've seen. Uh, college football is taken serious. Uh, I've known people that they have planned weddings on their college football teams by week so they don't miss a game. Yeah, I've 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 experienced that somewhat here in Florida. 
um, Florida, a slightly more metropolitan than some of these more rural yes. areas that are, you know, th- their football is, that's it. That is, that is the local tradition. I also grew up in New York city or, or the suburbs of New York city, Long Island. I mean, people like football there too, but it is not like it is in a lot of parts of the United yeah. States, you know, that don't have culture. Anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks, Mark. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm a snob. So anyway, let's move on uh, to. <laughs> hey, people think that New Yorkers are arrogant. I don't know where they get that from. So on the evening of November 14th, 1970, Southern Airways Flight 932, a McDonnell Douglas DC-9, chartered by Marshall University to transport the Thundering Herd football team back to Huntington, West Virginia, following their 17-14 to defeat to the East Carolina University Pirates, clips trees on a ridge just one mile short of the runway at Tri-State Airport in Cerrado, West Virginia, and crashes into a nearby gully, killing all 75 people on board. The deceased include the 37 players, head coach Rick Tolley, and five members of his coaching staff, Charles E. Kotz, Marshall's athletic director, team athletic trainer Jim Schroeder, and his assistant Donald Tackett, sports information director and radio play-by-play announcer Gene Morehouse, 25 boosters, and five crew members. In the wake of the tragedy, university president Donald Dedman leans towards indefinitely suspending the football program, but he is ultimately persuaded to reconsider by the pleas of the Marshall students and Huntington residents, and especially the few football players who didn't make the flight. Like Nate Ruffin, Dedman hires Jack Langle as the head coach with the help of Red Dawson, one of two surviving members of the previous coaching staff. They managed to rebuild the team in a relatively short time, despite losing many of the, their prospects to West Virginia University Mountaineers. Dedman travels to Kansas City, where he pleads with the NCAA to waive the rule prohibiting freshmen from playing varsity football, a rule which had been abolished in 1968 for all sports except for football and basketball and would be permanently abolished for those sports in 1972. Dedman returns victorious. The new team is composed mostly of 18 returning players, three varsity and 15 sophomores, uh, and walk-on athletes from other martial sports programs. Due to their lack of experience, the young Thundering Herd ends up losing its first game 26-6 to Moorhead State Eagles. The loss weighs heavily on Dawson and Ruffin, who had been hurt on the first play of the game. The Herd's first post-crash victory is a 15-13 win against Xavier University in the first home game of the season. Uh, I really like this movie. Uh, this one, and I don't really know why, but um, this one made me cry a couple of times. And I think in obviously the football that I connected with as such, it was the loss of family. There's a thinking a lot actually about like the the Owen Hart tragedy and, um, you know, just the sudden loss of your child, your father, your mother, you know, your brother, the, what you have to do to move ahead in life to deal with you know the sudden tragic loss of a loved one those are the things that resonated with me about this movie and when i say i think about like the owen hart thing you know there the the owen hart tragedy is a little bit different but just for the sake of argument you know there was a debate what do you do in the situation where you've you have you have a sudden death um you know in a great tragedy befall your um your team or your your group of athletes do you continue do you take a break what do you you know obviously this was ingrained in that town and so the town has to have a mourning period and what does it do with the loss of that part of its culture uh do you, you know 
certainly in the Nate Ruffin character played by um, Falcon. What's his face? Uh, Andrew Mackey. Yeah, Andrew Anthony Mackey. Anthony Mackey. Yeah, Anthony Mackey, which I don't think this gets said enough, is a phenomenal young actor. He is really fantastic. He's so good in this, and I didn't I didn't even remember him. I've seen this, you know, this came out in 2006. <laughs> I saw it when it came out and promptly forgot about it. But, you know, we know Anthony Mackie now from, you know, he's a big star now. He's been in, like, Black Mirror and obviously the Marvel movies and whatnot. And I think people forget he's been around for a fairly lengthy uh, period of time. He's so good in this. He's so earnest. He has so much passion. Um, I, I really, you know, he really embodied what I believe that character to be. Uh, and I was rooting for him the whole way. And he certainly represents one side of the argument, which is... We should not wallow in in pity in this tragedy. We should move forward. The way the best way to honor this team is to move forward, is to try to rebuild and get back on that field. Mm -hmm. um, don't let this whole thing, you know, take the town over the you know over the falls. And I love that about him. But it's you know, but again, much like we were talking about with national champions, there's a debate going on in this movie, and it's represented by the other side of it. Um, I think it's Ian McShane. Uh, yeah, Ian McShane's character, Paul Griffin, you know, is somebody who uh, represents the other side of the argument, which is leave it alone. This town's been hurt enough. We don't need any more reminders of what happened. And that is certainly attack people take when faced with tragedy is they don't want to think about it. They don't want to talk about it. I remember real, real quick when my grandmother died and I was trying to get my aunt and my father and my uncle to talk and they were like we don't want to we we don't want to talk about the death of our mother just leave us alone like okay so it's a terrible thing to say to a therapist his <laughs> job yeah. is to get people to talk but that's how they that's how they felt at the time um and so that's 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 the major that's part of the dramatic tension of this movie is you know the Nate Ruffins of the movie who want to move forward and rebuild and honor the dead and the Paul Griffins of the world who are like stop reminding this this all happened and he's coming from a place of earnest he's all he lost his wife prior to yep. the movie beginning um and he talks about that and that that weighs on him and it plays a role in how he treats his son's fiance yeah. uh who, who has a fairly decent role in this movie and also a yeah, very cute girl um and he he comes through it. He's better on the other side of the arc by the end of the movie than when than where he started, where he tries to you know mourn the loss of his son. But it's not an easy road, and he certainly fights it along you know along the way. He makes Deadman's life harder than it has to be. I think he ends up firing him at one point or voting him off. Yeah, voting yeah, him out I guess. Position. Yeah, I guess the board votes him out. Right, which came across to me as very as vindictive and not necessarily a thing that needed to happen um, because of incompetence or whatever. And, and I think the movie speaks to that. Anyway, um, the real, you know, the star of this movie, though, name up front is Matthew McConaughey, who plays Jack uh, Langle, and he creates a very memorable character. Again, Matthew McConaughey now kind of gets made fun of. He's he's not taken some great roles over the course of his acting period life, <laughs> and he gets made fun of for that. But, you know, let's not forget the man was in um, A Time to Kill. He's in this. He is a very good actor. And he, and he Lincoln Logger, Dallas Buyers yeah. Club. He tends to create very memorable characters. The man knows how to act. 
And I think he does a great job in, in, in creating this character, Jack Langle, who seems like a very unique fellow. Um, this, I think my favorite scene in this entire movie is when things are not working well and he's, you know, and he's sitting with the coaching staff and he kind of reminded me of Ted Lasso where he's just like, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. Help me <laughs> shoot ideas at me because I don't know what to do now. And, you know, and that's when they come up with, uh, was it like the eye formation or something? Um, uh, the veer, the veer, right. Which becomes a, a major plot of plot point of this movie. Um, and they focus on that for a good 10 to 15 minutes. But like that idea of leading by getting the people around you to give good ideas and trying to make those, I try to actualize those ideas. Like, I like that about that character. I like that about that person. Um, that was a fun part of the movie for me. So, uh, yeah, we are, you know, we are Marshall, like I said, made me cry a couple of times. I think I broke out in tears about three times throughout the course of the picture. Uh, it's a very, very excellent movie. Yeah, well, um, I watched it with Matthew McConaughey, kinda, sorta, at the Keith Albee Theater in Huntington. Uh, oh, he when was they there? did the, when they did the they did the premiere for the Keith mm -hmm. Albee uh, at the Keith Albee, uh, the theater company I worked for at the project as a projectionist at the time. Mm -hmm. um, I was I was asked to go over and you know help do prep and everything, and I got to screen it the night everybody got to screen it, uh, like the VIP screening. Uh, so that was kind of cool. I didn't get to meet him or anything. I was just mm -hmm. in the same building as he was. So I kind of I kind of claimed that I get to, got to watch it with him. Um, it is you you look at it from Paul's perspective because the town lost. Yes, they lost the football team, but and he even made a statement: we lost doctors, lawyers, right? And you know, we lost families were destroyed. We lost cornerstones of this community mm -hmm. and yes we lost the football team but we also lost cornerstones we mm -hmm. lost we lost you know pillars of the community right and we have to mourn those people as well and that's what and that's something that it kind of it, it gets stated but it's kind of brushed to the side um because it, it is uh amber's mom her cousin was one of the football players that passed away on the Plane. He doesn't get like mentioned or anything, uh, but he was one of the players that passed. Mm -hmm. um, so, and, you know, and you know, we've got me and my father-in-law and brother-in-law have talked about that. This is a very impactful movie mm -hmm. uh, because it it goes. You go on the journey of the team rebuild and the struggle, and like you said, Anthony Mackie is he has such a great range. Mm -hmm. And this shows some of the range that he has. He has a really great delivery, you know, and, and one could take the wrong, I think, approach to it and criticize it. But I think you have to remember the context. You have to remember the time mm -hmm. and in the situation that he's in. So Anthony Mackie basically crashes a town meeting yeah. that, he, that he was expressly told he was not allowed in. So there's this room full of old white faces. And what year is this? This is 72, yeah. seven, okay. spring of 72. Yeah, so not exactly 71, 72. the height of tremendous race relations between right. white and black people. And so young Anthony Mackie, black as black can be, kicks open the door of this you know secret, uh, private, all-white, mostly male meeting um, of older men. And, and they were like, do you have something to say? 
and he's holding his shoulder and he's just like, nah, I got nothing to say. <laughs> it's like but they what? do. <laughs> and then points out the window, but they do. And he has and he's like quivering, you know, and he knows that like he has to know that there's some guys in that room that want to throw him out the window. <laughs> and he yeah. and he's like just like I just have to I just have to get him to look out the window. That is all that is the whole assignment here. And he does, but like you get a palpable sense of dread from him. Um yeah. dread, anger, just all of it, you know. Anxiety. Yeah, it's a, it's a really it so a lot was said with so little. Mm. Uh yeah, a lot was said with his body language mm-hmm. and expression. So um yeah, this is like I said, I, I love this. The um the um Marshall Memorial um isn't very far from here either. And we um we go used to go up there all the time because mm-hmm. um, they had the best Pokemon stops. Um but you there's sometimes you go up there and you like see like people up there paying their respects that like were older people that were in the town at the time mm-hmm. or had some relation to the players. Cause there's six bodies buried up there that they could not identify. Mm-hmm. Um, so they just did the memorial. Uh, I want to bring up, he, I want to actually just, buried up there too. I want to quick, just bring up Matthew Fox and then I'm gonna let you finish having your say and then we'll close up. Um, one of the parts that really broke me, where I had a good solid cry is Matthew Fox. And it really needs to be said how poorly um, this country deals with men and trauma and Mm -hmm. grief. Um, There's a lot of expectation for men to just tough it out. Uh, Boys don't cry and all of that. Mm -hmm. And you look at Matthew Fox's journey in this movie of somebody who is, you know, a man of the seventies and a in a athlete of the 70s you know a sportsman and he's trying to tough it out like he's building a shed you know he's not wanting to be a part of football and you know feeling a an internal conflict he decides one year and when it's over he's able to properly grieve privately in a dark locker room he sobs and that's impactful for me, um, both positively and negatively. It's a shame, you know, it, it's exactly what that time would have seen and would have called for. But it's a shame that as a man, I'm a man of the 70s, you can't express grief in a um, healthy way. You know, you your, your choice is to not do it at all, which is harmful to your mental health or sit in a dark room and cry. And then as the janitor walks in, quick wipe away the tears, like it's not happening. Um, So like, I felt bad for him. I felt bad for the situation. It was incredibly powerfully well acted. Um, And because I'm very empathic, I just don't do well with seeing other people cry. It's hard to watch. So it was not that was not an easy scene for me to process but i wanted to make mention of it and that's really the the that's all i have to say about the movie apparently it wasn't well received it has a 48 rating on rotten tomatoes I was, while you were talking i was briefly looking at some of the comments on the wikipedia page that people did not love mcg's directing in this I, it didn't bother me i didn't think there was anything wrong with it but i don't know i 
<laughs> I, I don't know what you think. Go ahead. I'll give yeah. you the last word here. Um, yeah, Matthew Fox did a really good job because you have to look at it from his perspective. Mm. As they're getting on the plane, he's supposed to be on that plane, and he switches switches and takes a re recruiting Survivor's guilt trip. is the phrase you're looking yeah. for. Yeah, he takes a uh, recruiting trip mm -hmm. so the guy can go home and watch his, see his granddaughter's uh, piano recital right? Uh, rather than be out on the road for a recruiting trip. So you have that survivor's guilt as well, and as well as the trying to trying to process the loss, the survivor's mm -hmm. guilt, the how to deal with how to function. Yeah. Um, because everywhere he turns, he's linked to that. So it, it's, it's very impactful and it's very, mm -hmm. uh, and looking at it from that scope, it, it gives you a different perspective. Now, you know, just closing in closing here, um, really like this movie, but you talked about how, you know, you have that inner struggle uh, when losing some, losing somebody close to you. Um, you know, I lost my mother about a year ago mm -hmm. that night. I did a podcast. Mm-hmm. I, I power through. I was, I was a mess, but I did a podcast that night. Mm -hmm. Why? The, because the kickoff or something. Yes, with me or yes. That was a kickoff. No, no it's kickoff uh, with Eric and Harry. Um, I was, I was a, I was a mess, but it it took my mind off of it and it helped mm -hmm. me express myself a little bit and do something to honor my mom because my mom knows me doing somehow for some reason she thought me doing a podcast meant like i was internationally famous or something and it yeah i, I like, still get that reaction at times like you have a podcast you're a wizard harry like that's yeah and <laughs> my mom did doesn't didn't even know what a podcast was she just yeah. thought it was something i i was she thought basically i was a howard stern equivalent sure. i don't know but you know i know that she was proud of me for it so that's mm -hmm. why why i chose to do it and uh, and it's kind of like you, you just like you said, you got to process that. And I think they did a did a good job portraying that with uh, Matthew Fox. But in closing, I highly recommend all three of these movies mm -hmm. um, for different for different reasons. Uh, so if you do get the chance, sit down, kill two hours, watch these movies, and enjoy enjoy them for the craft. And the, the the message that they all bring across. All right. Um, well, that's our triple feature celebrating the Super Bowl and football and life, the universe, and everything. Uh, earlier today, we had a re-airing of uh, Warcraft. Hey, speaking of parents, my dad was on that show, which I didn't even remember. Um, I, I was listening to I, that either. <laughs> um, oh, hey, we got a question here on Twitch. Let me address this real okay. quick. Was this? Um, I'll put it up on the board here. Was the school or airline ever sued? Um, okay, so I'll let you say something in just a second, but according to the Wikipedia, Deborah Novak and John Wittek, who produced the 2000 documentary Marshall University Ashes to Glory, filed a $100 million lawsuit in federal court in California, accusing Warner Brothers and others associated with the We Are Marshall film of fraud, copyright infringement, and breach of contract. Novak, who directed Marshall University Ashes to Glory, is a Huntington native and Marshall alumnus. Uh, in October of 2008, a federal judge dismissed the lawsuit in a summary judgment in favor of Warner Brothers. Um, so, to the actual question, do you know if the airline would, or and or uh, whatnot was ever sued? 
No, from my knowledge, uh, there was no like civil lawsuits or anything. The crash happened because of heavy fog, okay. and it was it was a heavy dense fog. This airport is on top of a mountain, and the pilots just was going through fog, and the mountain appeared. The side of the mountain appeared. Uh, they thought they were coming into the the runway, and they were short. There was just and human they, error. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't like negligence. It was, you know, it was weather or equipment, you know, the, or equipment failure. It was, yeah, it was just, uh, and like I said, from, from my knowledge, there's been, not been any, there was not any civil lawsuits or anything or anybody that was, uh, sued outside of what you mentioned. Okay. Um, and I don't know, uh, like I said, you, reading that you had more information on that than I did. I just knew that there was a, a copyright lawsuit out there somewhere. Hmm. Doesn't that remind you of the Kobe Bryant situation? Fog, but pilots still flew and that company was sued. Yep, we got it, Kobe. <laughs> yeah. Um the that was kind of that was kind of different. Um from my understanding. Like I said, I haven't I, I don't know a lot about the Kobe Bryant situation. Um other than, you know, multiple lives were lost that were cut way too short uh and a very influential player and a great player as well as his daughter um so no longer with us um to correct what i was saying uh i re re-aired our review of warcraft from 2016 and i didn't know it at the time because i guess i never put it in the description of the podcast when i everyone originally posted on blog talk radio but apparently i had my dad on that show if you ever need like an indicator as to why i'm the way that i am you need to listen to this show and hear my dad talk about movies. It's it's pretty hilarious. I had I had a a really good time listening to him and Robert interact because as I've said, Robert remind Robert Winfrey reminds me a lot of my dad. My son reminds me a lot of Robert, Robert Winfrey and my dad. So there, there's a reason I'm the way that I am, and I say things that I do. In any case, uh, so that's up in the archives now. Tomorrow, um, Jesse Starcher and. Ronnie Adams are reviewing the Uncharted comic from DC Comics, uh, and that's because Uncharted comes out this week, uh, mm -hmm. which is the same reason we released the Warcraft review, because we're it's all video game adaptations all the time here. Speaking of which, speaking of adaptations, um, there's a webcomic called Marry Me, which is what the new film is based on with Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. Uh, my wife and I and my daughter, at least until she fell asleep, we watched Marry Me Saturday Night. Ronnie and I are going to talk about it and compare it to the web comic in which it was based on. Uh, Tuesday night, because Jason has no luck, we are not talking about the Black Phone because the Black Phone was kicked or the Devil's Light, whichever one it was supposed to be. Yeah. Both movies got delayed until later this year. Um, I think it was might have been the Devil's Light that I'm thinking of, and that got delayed until October. Uh, in any case, so instead, myself and Robert Winfrey are going to talk about the new Steve Soderbergh movie, Kimmy, that's currently airing directly on HBO Max, and uh, Big Bug, which is a French uh, movie directed by the guy who did Amelie. You know, Amelie is one of, the, one of the great films of our generation, great French film. Uh, so I'm curious to see what, uh, what he did with Big Bug here. So we're going to talk about those for all you snooty film people like us. Um, speaking of snooty film people, Wednesday... Myself, Robert uh, Cooper, and Jesse Starcher are going to review Lordy Humanimals. So we're back to Lordy Versity again. And then, oh, get, get excited, Jason. 
get excited. You get you get you uh get to hear the MVP of the Rattleigen Broadcasting Network. Yay. She's back and she's better than ever. Hey, you fans of the Rattleigen Broadcasting Network, have you wanted to hear Mark and his wife talk about smutty books and the movies based on them? Well, now's your chance, hot stuffs. Because my wife and I are going to talk about the Fifty Shades trilogy. Yes, sir. Fifty Shades of Grey, Fifty Shades Darker, and Fifty Shades Freed. My wife has read all the books, including the ones from Christian Grey's perspective. And we've watched all the movies together. And now we're going to talk about them. Hot damn. Look at all this. Imagine all this talking about BDSM. Get excited. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I, I just went sterile. <laughs> so waiting so. to Jason goes off camera, comes back, he's dumping bleach in his eyes. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy, people. I, I do it for you. It's not that's not entirely. Is it is it a video or audio only? Oh no, that's gonna be video. My wife is gonna be oh. on camera. Oh for, I think the first time. I don't think she's done one of yeah, these I don't, since we went I, to video. Yeah, I don't think no, she that's has not true. Either. She 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 and her friend Elizabeth, who did the triple feature of musicals from uh, late last year, she did a uh, the feminist perspective on Black Widow, which they just basically filmed one of their Zoom calls. So she has been on camera once, but this will be the first time oh. she's on camera with me. Oh, okay. Every time she does a podcast meet with me, we piss somebody off. So I'm hoping to continue that streak. Yay! <laughs> Uh, Saturday, we've got some uh, just a loaded up day for you. Uh, in we've got a re airing of Body Count Manslaughter. Uh, the first Body Count re air uh, was on Saturday, and this is the second one we did before we switched feeds. Uh, so all of our Body Count stuff will be up on the network after this coming Saturday. We have a live stream of the WWE Elimination Chamber in Saudi Arabia, that'll be in the afternoon. And then Impact, No Surrender, will be at 8 o'clock at night. As soon as it ends, in theory, assuming I don't get stood up, Harry um, Broadhurst. Thank you. Harry Broadhurst and I will be doing our Indie Ciders TV party for uh, AIW, You Know What, I'm Not Leaving, and Impact, No Surrender, which features Moose versus the man formerly known as Big Cass. You can check out last week's show where uh, Jason and I did not one but two of our Black History Month shows, one focusing on the Modern Shaft movies, the other one focusing on some black exploitation from the 70s, plus our review of Moonfall and more interestingly, our discussion of Roland Emmerich hating Marvel films and our discussion of the new Corn album Requiem and finally myself and Alexis Haina reviewing the new set of Looney Tunes cartoons, plus, plus, plus. Uh, that's all. <laughs> all right, Jason, uh, I hear you do a football fantasy podcast. Yeah, you can find me and Tyler Louder uh, at the Second and Short Podcast, your uh, favorite podcasting platforms. Uh, you can find us also, you can find us here on the W2M Network, um, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're, we're all over. Tyler's all over the place with that. <laughs> I, I pop up every once in a while. Um, so you see my beautiful mug occasionally um also me and mark have a spike league retrospective coming up i think it's in a week next thursday i think or next sunday it's next thursday wait okay. double check that. Uh, uh 20th yes um so the, the 20th will be a double shot of black history month stuff 
We've yeah. got uh, a re-airing of the Beverly Hills Cop trilogy, and then we'll be reviewing Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, and Old Boy. Right. So tune in for that. Me and Mark doing our Spike Lee retrospective. Uh, some three three really good films I, I think we selected to get the, the gist of his style of filmography. Still think we should have done Bamboozled. Oh, well, we we got a whole nother Black History Month. <laughs> I so, suppose, unless one of us die, that's possible. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, but outside of that, yeah, definitely check out the second uh, short podcast. And you know, we're we took a week off. We'll be back this week. Uh, Tyler's already promised me we're coming back this week, so uh, I have faith in him. And. In closing, Mark, happy Valentine's Day as it is after midnight. <laughs> Thank you, Jason. Happy Valentine's Day. All right, folks. Thanks for joining us on our post-Super Bowl show, talking about American underdog national champions, and we are Marshall. Ba -ba -da -ba 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 -ba. All right. I uh, hope you'll check us out. Hey, uh, real quick, if you're wondering why there's been no YouTube video since Tuesday night, uh, we got hacked. Somebody uploaded a naughty video, 13 seconds, and no matter how many times we have gotten youtube to try to get youtube to understand that it's not us uh they don't care so we got nicked for a week so we'll be back up and running thursday with video everything that's audio that's been recorded in the meantime will be up on the youtube page um so well this will eventually be on youtube it's just going to take a little bit but the audio will be available immediately after this live stream ends so for those of you who still listen to traditional podcasts audio in audio form It'll be on, it'll be available in just a few minutes on all your major podcatchers. And then the video will be up probably Thursday or Friday. All right. That's it. So I wanted to say thank you, Jason. Thank you everybody for tuning in. For those of you who watched the live stream live as it was happening on Twitch or um, Facebook, we appreciate you. And for those of you on Twitter, I can't see you, but I know you're out there because I see the numbers. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Have a happy, uh, have a happy evening. Have a happy, have a happy Valentine's day. Be well, be safe and behave.